Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Good morning. Ever-living Spirit, give us humility of mind and hospitality of heart to receive your gracious word in the ancient stories of your faithfulness. Amen. The scripture reading today comes to us from Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, I shall remain confident. One thing I ask of the Lord that will I seek after is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent and he will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices of shouts and joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Do not cast me off, O God of my salvation. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give up, do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. This is a reading from Acts, the eighth chapter. Now an angel from the Lord spoke to Philip, at noon, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And so he did. Meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem, where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace, Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. He was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in his chariot. The spirit told Philip, approach this chariot and stay with it. Running up to the chariot, Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you really understand what you're reading? The man replied, without someone to guide me, how could I? Then he invited Philip to climb up and to sit with him. This was the passage of scripture he was reading. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. Who can tell the story of his descendants, because his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, about whom, this pro- about whom does this prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or someone else? 
Starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. As they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water, what would keep me from being baptized? He ordered that the chariot halt. And both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water where Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Lord's spirit suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Azotus, and he traveled through that area, preaching the good news in all the cities until he reached Caesarea. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Like many parents, my wife Beth and I had our children baptized as infants. To this day, they have no direct memory of that watery sacrament, only a wooden cradle cross and a calligraphy certificate. And family stories about their grandfather, the pastor, splashing them with way too much water, and their aunts and uncles having way too much to drink at the after party. Still, this holy miracle set them on the road to the disciple, to discipleship, or so I imagined. I, being the pastor, foresaw fun playtimes and talk around the dinner table and quality bedtimes, pondering the big questions together. I love being the one with the answers. I thought this was part of my calling as a parent. But then the real questions began to flow. Dad, were there dinosaurs on the ark? How can God listen to everyone at the same time? God must have really big ears. If Jesus doesn't have a sister, why do I need to have one? (laughs) I had to tell him that, in fact, Jesus did have sisters, but that's another story. Did Jesus practice walking on water first? How can I try that? And why does God stay in heaven and not come down to earth? We need all the help we can get down here. Over time, the challenge, the questions grew more challenging. Dad, he'd say, why are people so dumb? Or how do I draw a picture of God? Is God black or white or what is God? How do I draw God? While reading scripture together, my daughter once asked, why does God tell some of the Israelites to stay up on the mountaintop? That seems kind of mean to leave them out. I hate being left out. There were so many questions lurking beneath the surface. Yet I could see that many of the beautiful questions deep in their souls remained unspoken. And on many occasions I did not push very hard for I knew that I did not have the answers. When I read this story in Acts about the eunuch and Philip, I'm reminded of my years as a young father. Years ago I would have simply read this strange story as a tale about Philip's boldness and Willingness to go to the stranger to declare God's good news. But reading as a parent and grandparent, now I understand how little Philip knows about what an unsung hero he really was and about the importance of the eunuch for the whole of the church. Some background. Philip was a deacon in the first church of Jerusalem. His job was delivering food to the widows. He ran the first meals on wheels. Strong persecution against Christians erupted and the churches had to disband for a short time. Now Philip was not one who sat at the feet of Jesus because he was not one of the first 12 disciples, but he did get 
the good news about Jesus and his message of hope and salvation. In fact, he was very good at preaching about Jesus. Imagine him as a first century Rob Bell. He had all the moves, the words, he had the miracles. Philip was a rising star. His first assignment was to the region of Samaria, a tough place where he managed to connect with a tough crowd and converted a whole city of people. It was here that Philip imagined he was on the fast track to celebrity status. So he made plans to travel north up the coast to Caesarea to the busy seaport and preach to the huge crowds there. But an angel of the Lord gives Philip instruction to take a different road, to head to a different place, a strange, unexpected highway west toward Gaza. He must have been disappointed, but he didn't pout. He took the strange road, and there he met an extraordinary man. For Philip is not the only character in the story. There is a traveling Ethiopian eunuch. There's something just unincredible about this man. He's highly educated. He's of substantial means. He's literate enough to read the story of Isaiah in Hebrew. He's chosen to take a long and dangerous trip from his homeland north to Jerusalem and on to worship. In addition, he's riding in a chauffeured chariot, for even in the ancient world, distracted driving is not advisable. Do not text while riding in a chariot, apparently. In short, he's a person of amazing importance and great power in the Ethiopian kingdom. It's God who sends Philip along this same strange road. And when he comes upon this man reading from Isaiah in his chariot, he asks, Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch replies, How can I, unless someone guides me? These are beautiful questions, simple, direct, and heartfelt, and dive directly to the heart of the matter and pave the way to a surprising outcome. They read Isaiah together, and then in verse 35 we read, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. When Philip told the eunuch the story about Jesus the Christ, about the lamb who was slaughtered and the one who did not open his mouth and complaint, he wasn't giving out an answer, but he was making a testimony. His answer was not a matter of just conveying knowledge from one to another. It was a witness to an encounter, one which helped the eunuch to make sense of what was already real to him. Philip didn't present the eunuch with any of the historic promises of Israel. The eunuch was reading these promises in real time. Instead, Philip found himself confronted by a man who had been confronted by God, but needed help in discerning the one who was calling him. Philip was only this man's guide. How can I, unless someone guides me? The eunuch asks the beautiful questions one that is like a prayer that God will answer. And now the love of God will be seen where no one could have imagined or dared to look, at a place of humiliation and pain. A number of people have told me of late that they really don't have any trouble with God. They believe in God. They can argue with God. They can talk about God in 
mixed company. They can debate and they understand the concept of a divine power. But Jesus, that's another matter still. But still Christ stands pointing the way to life. In fact, he stands among us before we even know he is here. On first hearing of Jesus, Helen Keller, the marvelous person originally cut off from hearing and seeing, who was much like the Ethiopian who had no way to understand unless someone showed her. Helen Keller, on first hearing of Jesus, said, I knew there had to be someone like him. Hearing the testimony of Philip concerning the promises of God, the eunuch better understood what was already waiting in his mind and spirit. Seeing a body of water, he said, what's to prevent me from being baptized? Lots of things. Eric Barreto, a New Testament teacher at Princeton, tells us he was a castrated man, a person of ambiguous gender identity, probably a Gentile and not a protege of one of the stars of the early church, Peter or Paul. Yet God provides an answer, Barreto says. Nothing prevents him from being baptized. Absolutely nothing. In the middle of the desert wilderness, water appears and Philip baptizes the Ethiopian man. Faith found the water. Faith will always find the water. The eunuch wants God as much as God wants him. They will wait no longer for each other. The Ethiopian's desire for God is a powerful force animated by the power of God's spirit. St. Teresa of Avila, the Spanish mystic of the 16th century, was a strong believer in the power of holy water. She said that, I know by frequent experience there is nothing which puts the devil to flight like holy water. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing make you afraid. God alone never changes. All things are passing. Patience gains all things. If you have God, you will want for nothing. God alone suffices. Amazingly, in this moment, God broke the connection between identity and destiny and inserted a whole new trajectory in this man's life. God came for the eunuch precisely in his difference and exactly in the complexities of his life. He matters not because he's close to worldly power and thus a more appealing pawn. He matters because he is a child of God. And he is being brought close to the heart of the holy. He will no longer be far from home. So the eunuch saw the possibilities of a future life. And the Sarasota statement that we'll read a bit of just later finds in the eunuch and in women and men like him a strong abiding hope that God is always at work in our world and in our lives, giving us joy and calling us to be faithful to Jesus' vision of the kingdom. God is at work. God was at work and God will be at work in our lives and the world, remaking all in the way of justice and love. But there's a final wrinkle in this odd story. If you pulled out a Bible from the pew rack, you would find that verse 37 is missing. 
except in a very few manuscripts. If you were using a study Bible, you would read that some ancient scholars thought that there was a missing piece in this story, and that would be the Ethiopian's confession of faith. After all, how could a man be baptized if he doesn't confess his faith? So at a point, some in the early church decided that there was one thing that stopped this Ethiopian from being baptized. He first had to confess. He first had to say the right words, pray the right prayer, live in the right neighborhood, have the right color skin, have the right sexual identity. He was one of those people. But the wondrous appearance of a pool of water in the middle of the desert answers the eunuch's question definitively. Nothing will prevent him from being baptized and included in the community of God's people, the whole people of the world. Not his ambiguous sexual status, not his race or ethnicity, not his education, not his wealth or power or status. God's saving power will not be restrained. The book of Acts offers us a glimpse of a church where differences are celebrated because God created us out of our diversity. Too often the message of the church is all are welcome as long as you're willing to become like us. Eric Barreto says the eunuch doesn't have to change who he is. Now I don't recall much about the Super Bowl this year, but I do recall a single Coca-Cola commercial that was shown there and at the Olympics and other times that featured many different people of different races and ages and colors singing America the Beautiful in eight different languages. The advertisement sparked a cascade of comments on Twitter and Facebook, positive and some negative, one that asked indignantly, how dare they ruin the national anthem? For many people, This diversity that is flowing in the world is a frightening reality. But this diversity is at our doorstep, and it is part of God's design for the world and for our church today. Too often our solution to massive social issues and change is just to get rid of the differences. We imagine our differences are a problem to be solved, an obstacle on the way to a more perfect community of faith. But this gets it exactly backwards, according to Acts. Differences and diversity are unavoidable. They are indispensable, and they are truly gifts from God. Truth is, I don't believe we can actually know what it means to follow this Jesus in the world, and unless we have the stranger, the outsider, to show us what it means to be included in this big tent, this whole community of faith. But not even inclusion seems to be the right word here because it makes it sound that somehow out of our hypocritical politeness and virtue, we are allowing them, the others, to join us. Like we are judging another group of people to be worthy of this community. Inclusion seems a rather small thing, a charity, a tiny mercy, when what is needed is a wholehearted acceptance of the immensity of the diversity that God created in the world at the very moment that it all began. We need the equivalent of the Ethiopian eunuch to show us the faith. 
We need the stranger, the foreigner, the immigrant, the other to show us the water in the desert. We need the stranger to help us ask the most beautiful questions. We need to hear, here's water in the desert. So what is to keep me from being baptized? Me, the gay one. Me, the tattooed one. Me, the illiterate. Me, the neurotic. Me, the overeducated one. Me, me, the member of the NRA. Me, the member of Focus on the Family. Until we face that question and come up as Philip did with no objection. Until then, we just look at the seemingly limited space in the tent and either think it's our job to change people to fit in or somehow to make it just a little bit bigger. Either way, it's misguided because it's not our tent. It's God's tent. The wideness of the tent of the Lord, the wideness of the community of faith should concern us only so far as it points to the gracious nature of a loving God who became flesh and entered into our humanity and reality. The wideness of the tent should concern us only so far as it points to the great mercy of God who welcomes each and every one of this. What is to prevent you from being baptized? Absolutely nothing. Thanks be to God for God's extraordinary welcome. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Holy One, creator of all, we give you thanks for every blessing. You are generous to us beyond measure. Keep us filled with gratitude for every gift of life, including the privilege of giving back to you. Bless these gifts we present today. Use them that all may know your holy and healing love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. And let us unite our hearts and minds in prayer. God of us all, you bless us in so many ways. Your creation is filled with beauty and infinite in variety, with vast landscapes and soaring mountains, magnificent waterfalls and deep forests. Your children are given gifts of intelligence, creativity, athleticism and compassion, and most importantly, relationships that nurture and sustain us. All living things with whom we share this planet have purpose and add to our awe of you. Thank you, O God, for this wonderful world. Help us recognize and appreciate its diversity and complexity and care for it as you care for us. Though you created all that is and named it good, there is turmoil all around us. Give us eyes to see that peace is not possible where there is oppression. Give us ears to hear insensitive comments and the courage to speak up in the defense of respect for all people. We pray for reconciliation between peoples long divided, between those in the North and the South on the Korean Peninsula, for those in the Middle East, for those who would divide God's favor and kill in God's name in South Sudan. Enable pride to be swallowed up by empathy, the common good to be elevated above personal gain, and all children to have opportunities for good health care, education, and freedom from worry about food or safety. 
Bless those who struggle with physical and mental illness and all those who care for them. Be with those who grieve. Give lawmakers integrity and help us all to find joy in the work you give us to do. Oh God, we pray for all of those for whom graduation is now a reality and for all of those who are anticipating their high school graduation in the coming weeks. Bless them all and the families that have nurtured them. Help them to continue forward knowing that you plan a future for them that is blessed and full. We make all these prayers in the name and for the sake of your Son, our risen Lord, and we join our voices in the prayer he taught us all, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.